I'm Chalanga. I'm Dylan. And this is the CND NBA show. Whoa! We've, re- we've rebranded once again. <laughs> um, I think we're going to finally stick with this, though. The CND NBA show. No, I like let's, let's keep rebranding so we can't develop a following. This is a cult podcast. We love all thir- 29 of you. This is an occult podcast where we talk about uh, spirits and seances. And um, I watched the first 20 minutes of The Mummy uh, yesterday. Wow. Brendan Fraser digging deep. That movie sucks. Oh, you didn't it? Like it looks like absolute shit. It looks like shit. It does and look not- like shit now. <laughs> and like, Wait, did you watch like it on not- TV or did you watch it on DVD or something? Whatever. I streamed it. Okay. Yeah, it looks bad. Yeah. It looks even worse when you watch it in TV on TV because the frame rate fucks it up too. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bad movie. Anyway, the Timberwolves <sighs> lost tonight against the Clippers team without Paul George. I mean, it was kind of expected. The it was a 119-112 final score, which pretty much I think that's like reflects uh how the game went. It was it was close the whole yeah. time. Um well, even though it was kind of a backdoor cover by Malik at the end there. Right, right. I don't know the what Clippers, the line was, but yeah, there were kind of, it felt like it was a 10 point deficit re- in reality, but yeah, the, the Clippers took control in the second half and never really let it go. Um, but the Wolves did, I mean, they, they kept trying, uh, the whole, the whole time, uh, which is good to see because that has not always been the case, but yeah, I would say it was a 10 to 12 point loss in reality, but Malik kind of turned up. He had 21 points in the second half after putting up a zero in the first i think i think we both tweeted out that he was going to put up 20 in the second half. <laughs> i think i tweeted 20 in the another 20 in the fourth quarter because uh <laughs> fellow uh timberwolves twitter man logan alton right is that his name? oh yeah we love logan yeah so logan tweets out that he had six points going into the fourth quarter and that he was in danger of missing out on his streak. He had some streaks, maybe even since the beginning of the season, that he had scored at least 10 points a game. But no, 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 he wasn't going to miss out on that for a second. Scored 15 in the sec- in the fourth quarter, baby. Yeah, I don't think that Malik will ever score under 10 points this season because he's just going to keep shooting until, he, until it goes in. And it will go in eventually because he is a very good shooter. And he also puts in the effort on the defensive end to like get opportunities for himself. So I I just like, it's hard for me to imagine a situation where he doesn't score in double digits unless he gets hurt or something really strange happens. Right. Yeah. I guess I could see it as towns gets more integrated into the offense. Like let's just say Carl has a 30 shot game and then D'Angelo has a 30 shot game. And then there's only what 10 shots left for, Malik Beasley and so and and maybe Ant gets more integrated into the offense maybe Jaden McDaniels gets more integrated into the offense you know there are a lot Mm -hmm. of players right now who need more of the ball there are also some players who need less of the ball and we'll get to that guy later yeah let's let's go back so Carl's played this game he started he played for the first time in what feels like an eternity (laughs) and you know what he is very good at basketball yeah, I feel like this is the beginning of the season now. It feels like a start over, you know, like it, it it feels like a new team. 
And, you know, I, I, I think everyone expected the team to play with this type of energy with Carl returning just because, like, it's exciting and having him on the floor makes you feel like you can win any game. You know, I, you know, I think some players on the Wolves, like Malik, think that they can win any game, period. Uh, but Malik is still playing right now, by the way. <laughs> yeah, still out on the court. <laughs> Someone tell him the game's over. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he looked good. I think th- like the consistent problem with the Wolves is that uh, Carl didn't get the ball. I mean, so the shot distribution tonight, Malik took 15 shots. That's that's about right. That's how many shots Malik should be taking, 12 to 15. Josh Okoge took 14 shots. Nas Reed what? took 13 shots. And Carl took 15. Like, I, I, And Carl only played uh, just over 30 minutes. But, you know, you look at Kawhi Leonard, the star player for the Clippers, he took 25 shots tonight. I think that... The team is doing a disservice to themselves by not getting Carl 20 plus shots every night. And period. that's on that's not just on Ryan. That's on Ryan, but that's on Ricky Rubio. Mm-hmm. That's on everybody taking the ball up the court. Yeah, and 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 really it it's not even necessarily about shots, it's about touches and opportunities to create. Granted, I, I he did look a little rusty tonight. Like I felt like when he was operating in the post, it, it was hard for him. Um, he got the ball stripped from him a couple times. He had a few turnovers. So so there's some rust for sure. But I, I don't understand why Ryan isn't watching like Denver or Miami. Teams who run sets for their centers to create offense for themselves or for other people. And just like taking those sets, you know, like let Carl bring the ball up the court and initiate the offense. Let Carl catch the ball at the free throw line and make a decision like that's simple shit that we could do to, to get get Carl more involved in the offense I will say it they made it very difficult in the first half to get Carl even the ball there was that shot that Malik shot in the second half at the beginning of the second half where they were trying to get the they were trying to get the entry pass and he was already Carl was already double double teamed so Malik, even though he was covered, was like, all right, well, if you're going to sag off of me at all, uh, I'm just going to put this up. And then he put up the three and made it. You know, that was I, mm-hmm. that was one of his first mm-hmm. buckets of the whole game. Mm-hmm. So I get that it was tough to get Carl the ball and Carl was tired. And so all of those factors probably did not help in this situation. But mm-hmm. yeah, we do need to be able to get Carl the ball more. And you know what? I'm I'm not going like this is a game time decision. There's never any time in this season, this NBA season, there's not enough time to like figure out how to integrate guys. So it kind of all has to happen on the court. So to me, this was kind of like, this is kind of a preseason game. You know what I mean? The season maybe starts after this game. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The season starts on Friday against the Charlotte Hornets. Um, oh, that is big stakes, baby. I know. Oh, I w- we need. We might need some A one steak sauce for those steaks, dude. I'm afraid Ant Ant is gonna have a bad game. I know that's that's the biggest fear. But we can't put all our hopes in one game. Timberwolves fans, yeah. because they never get to the playoffs and they never have a good team, we always put way too many hopes in one game, and then all of a sudden it's just like, all right, I want Josh Okoge gone now. Just get him off the team. It's like, well, Josh Okoge has no trade value, so maybe that brings us to our next topic. Well, we did just last pod say that Josh Okoge should be out of the rotation, and I stand by that. Let's shift our conversation to Josh Okoge because I think that 
he is a really interesting point of conversation at this point. You know, last week we did say he should be out of the rotation because his offense had been so bad. But the last two games, he's showed that defense that is like hard to bench, right? Like it's, it's hard to say that that dude shouldn't play when he's playing that level of defense, but his offense is hard. And part of the reason that the Clippers were able to double Carl so effectively early on is because they can leave him. They don't, they are not worried about the 18% three point shooter making shots. Well, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but my thought was that at least at the beginning of the game, cause I feel like the end of the game, it was Malik Beasley covering Kawhi, but I feel like at the beginning of the game, Josh Okoge was the primary Kawhi stopper and yes. Kawhi was cooking no matter who was on him. And that Kawhi mm-hmm. does that. Sure. But it's like, at some point, if that's your solution to Kawhi, like it doesn't help who you put on him. And if Josh Okoge is still in the lineup, what's the point? What's the point then? Yeah, and and to me, it seems like Josh Okoge's like great defensive plays almost always come after he makes an, a mistake on the offensive end. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes, he's always regretting something, and then he tries extra hard. Also, sometimes. The- yeah, and sometimes that turns into another mistake on the defensive end because he's getting a little aggressive because he's making mm-hmm. the aggressive choice that ends up leading to an easy bucket. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he should not be taking 14 shots. And and the issue is that the, the Clippers dared him to take shots, and he tried to do it. He tried to create. He tried to get himself going offensively. And it, it would be a much different story if he didn't try so aggressively to get himself going. Like, he had that really great drive where he kind of like faked the layup but ended up kicking it out to Ant in the corner and it was a it was not a great pass but Ant hit the shot and I mean he's he's a good passer right I I just think that when you are playing two people who shoot below 20% from the three point line being Ricky Rubio and Josh Okoge you have to be really creative and really intentional with how you run your offense and the Wolves just are not that and Josh Okoge can't be lined up on the outside of the court. Whatever whatever players guarding him can't be 15 feet away from him. And that was what happened in the second half. That was why Josh Okoge, when he got the ball, couldn't actually drive and kick out to open Anthony Edwards. Because that mm-hmm. happened in the first half. In the second half, they're like, all right, well, let's adjust to this. Josh Okoge, we know that he can't shoot the ball, but he's being a little bit aggressive right now. Let's just not guard him. And if we guard everyone else, he'll have no option but to shoot. And so, like, having Josh Okoge out there on the offensive end is just such a negative that it it that is what slows our offense down 100% because he starts dribbling. He's not going to shoot the open shot every time. Like, And when he does, he's probably going to miss it. So it's just such a an anvil in the offense. I'm wondering, I, I need to look this up, but I'm wondering how often Josh Okoge is the role man. I'm wondering if if the offense shifted more so that Okoge operated as the center offensively, like a, a Russell Westbrook-esque with the Rockets. I wonder how that would look. and Because that way we could, you know, you could space out around an Okoge-Rubio pick and roll or an Okogi uh, D'Lo pick and roll, right? I mean, or Okogi in the dunker spot as the mm-hmm. Jared Vanderbilt. Yeah. And, and that gives him something to do. And I know that he's not going to be the best offensive rebounder because he's six foot four 
and I don't but care he can what jump effective height. He's, he's got long arms. I mean, he can. I, I mean, he's got he's got he's got instincts for it. That's what. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying it, he would be better down there. Just put him in the Jared Vanderbilt role, you know, and yeah. That's interesting. Maybe it's time we stop thinking about Josh Okoge as a perimeter player. You know, I, I don't think PJ Tucker is much uh, bigger than he is. He's not much taller than he is. That's for sure. He's got the weight. Josh Okoge, if he wants to stay in the mm-hmm. starting lineups of NBA teams, he's going to have to put on a good 20 pounds, a good 20 pounds. I think PJ Tucker's 235 at least. Or he's gonna have to shoot the ball. Like, it, it, I, and I don't. Yeah, I don't you? know what happened to Josh Okogie's shot. He he was not this bad last year. He was not this bad the year before. He certainly was not this bad in college. But it, it, he's just he's been getting worse offensively. I, well, I don't know if it's teams have figured him out or what. A lot of this is in his headspace, but it's in his headspace mm-hmm. because Carl Anthony Towns hasn't played. Carl Anthony Towns provides more space than any player in the NBA, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we can't really determine after one game with Carl Anthony Towns back that Josh Okogi is completely useless on the court. I do think that we need to give him a chance, possibly on the bench. But I think that keeping him out of the rotation might be smartest for uh trade value purposes. We need to bump up the trade value of Jarrett Culver right now. And he is the, the equivalent of Josh Okogie on this team, the, the, the Josh Okogie replacement on this team. And we actually need Jarrett Culver right now as a trade ship because of his potential. Oh, we're going to have this conversation later. We're going to end the pod with it, with a trade value conversation. Okay, we got a few more to- topics to talk about here. Nas Reed led the team in scoring again, 23 points in like 20 minutes. He has really impressed me this season with his scoring ability. I mean, it's just like he's really reached another level with that. His touch around the rim is really great. His three-point shooting is better than ever. You know, and and we've been talking about this for a few weeks, but he is legit. He's here. He's he is backup center worthy. He still can't rebound for shit, and his defense is you know shaky it's, at best. Well, it's it's sometimes like I feel like I sound dumb for saying it sucks, but it does like at the most inopportune times fall apart. He always mm-hmm. ends up standing up too straight. That's something that I've repeated over and over again on this podcast. But I do think Nas Reed has a place in the NBA. I don't know where that is. I don't know if it even is with the Wolves. I hope that he can show out this season so that he can have some trade value across the league. I think uh, floor spacing centers have good value in the league right now. Better value than a 3 and D player who doesn't do the three part and has not been doing the D part either like Josh Okogie. <laughs> Well, I mean, the problem with Nasri's trade, I mean, he makes like a, a million and a half, you know, like he makes no money. And well, that's he, where Ricky Rubio comes into play. Right. Where you're actually getting Nasri, but Ricky Rubio is the salary. That makes sense. And, and you know, Nasri is interesting because the last three years of his contract are all not fully guaranteed. And so. I mean, the Wolves could restructure his contract at any point. If they feel like he's going to be a valuable backup to Towns, then they keep him on that really low salary. If they feel like they can get something uh, of value for him, then they can re-sign him to a salary that is more advantageous for trades, right? Uh, uh, Like a bigger number. 
it sucks because the backup center role is usually more of a defensive role. And in this case, mm -hmm. it would be a primarily mm -hmm. an offensive role. So I'm wondering like what the comp is for that. The closest thing I can come up to the closest thing I can come up with right now is Jermichael green. But I just, I don't know if like Jermichael green has a much more defensive upside. Yeah. I guess now that I think about it, I mean, centers don't have trade value anyway. I mean, Andre Drummond got traded for a second round pick. So if Andre Drummond's getting you a second round pick, I don't know what Nasveed is getting you. So he's more valuable on this really cheap contract. Um, but I'm just I, I'm just happy that he he's scoring because I think like the biggest thing the bench needs to do is not fall behind. And so whether that's through scoring or through defense, I, I think scoring is is the easier route, and he certainly can put the ball in the in the basket. His defense will never be good because he's just limited offensively. He's got slow feet. He he can't move. And so he has to rely on being in the right place at the right time. And he's a smart player. So, you know, a lot of times he is in the right place at the right time. But, you know, he's just he's limited. I think that this team, once D'Angelo Russell's back, is going to look so, so good. This bench unit of Ricky Rubio, Jared Vanderbilt, and Nas all together. That's going to look just fine as long as you have Jalen Noel. At, for at least the time being, the starting lineup is going to be the lineup that, like, lineup tonight with D'Lo instead of Rubio. Like, Akogi is in the starting lineup with Towns moving forward until Ryan finally has the sense to put Jaden in, you know? But even then, I, I you know, I think Jaden does have some value on the bench as well. I, I think I want to transition now into. Anthony Edwards's role now that Carl is back because I think that his scoring was much more important um, in the starting lineup with Towns out. But now that Towns is back, I'm I'm curious, like you got D'Lo, Beasley, Edwards, and Towns. At least three of the four like to operate with the ball in their hands and, and kind of like need to put up a lot of shots to be as effective as they can. So what do you feel like... Ant's role is moving forward this season. Ideally, the role, maybe not this season, but the role in general is OKC from last year. Chris Paul, Shea Gilders Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder, the three-headed monster where they all kind of need the ball a little bit, but they're still super, super effective, especially in crunch time. They were the best crunch time team in the league. So... I think it presents a lot more mismatches than our fears about like, is there enough ball for every, for everybody, at least in the, in the, in terms of D and ant and cat, there's elite mm -hmm. passing ability. I think at least with ant, there's like that possibility of him becoming an elite. Passer. Yeah. He had some, he had some rough passes tonight. I think he's, he's got good intentions, but sometimes he like, there was one drive tonight where, he drove and the defense collapsed as the defense does when he drives and he had an option to kick it out. I, I believe it was, I think it was Josh Akogi in the, in the right corner. Well, then there's um, your answer. I know, I know, I know, but he was wide open or Malik Beasley behind him. And he decided to go to Malik Beasley behind him and the ball got stolen. And granted, like I get it. Like, I think that the players on the wolves are somewhat hesitant to pass to Josh Akogi at times, but 
passing to Josh would have been the right play there. And I, I think, I, yeah, he's just, he's, he's not quite there at making all the reads, but, but I, I see what you're saying. It's there. The, the, the skill is there and the potential is there. I think the one thing I need to see more of is Carl and Anthony pick and roll. I need to see that happen. It was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. The two times that it happened in the first yeah. quarter. <laughs> yeah. It needs to happen more. Like, uh, D'Lo is a pretty good catch and shoot three point shooter. So if there are stretches of the game where Anthony Edwards like operates as the like the primary ball handler, I'm, I think that's we've got to we've got to at least explore that. Also, he made a corner three tonight, and and that was pretty exciting for me. I I think mm-hmm. that he could. I mean, Anthony Edwards, his slate is completely bare. Every single game, you can watch him getting better because he hasn't played basketball for more than five years. He is going to like he he could be he's so malleable. He could be formed into anything for whatever a smart coach needs. And mm-hmm. and and that smart coach will say, this is what we need. This is what we're going to turn you into. And we'll grow from there. But that's my favorite thing about Anthony Edwards is like how. There is so much you can do with him. And and I think that's the upside of him over LaMelo Ball is that, like, if we would have gotten LaMelo Ball, all of a sudden it's like, well, now we need to build around LaMelo. Okay, well, Kat's timeline, is that the LaMelo timeline? You know what I mean? So maybe it's like, maybe it's kind of a godsend in a sense because with Anthony Edwards, it's like there is no timeline because Anthony Edwards can kind of do everything really well and maybe he his skills whatever you want to focus on can be focused into being this role player before he's ready. Well, here's the, here's the thing for me is that I think that for Anthony Edwards to be successful on this team and for Jaden McDaniels for that matter, like I'm just going to talk about both of them. They need to figure out how to move offensively off the ball. Both of them do an incredible amount of standing around when they don't have the ball in their hands. Jake Lehman, player coach. Yes, exactly. Exactly, because he's such a great cutter. You know, Anthony Edwards really does, like, stand. And he's usually standing in a spot that is okay. Jaden McDaniels' off-ball offense is a complete disaster. Like, the amount of times that the ball handler almost runs and, like, has to stop because Jaden McDaniels is in his way is it's pretty incredible or if you're gonna give a screen like give a screen don't give a half screen that's like giving a half circumcision it doesn't help well he's too small to be screening at this point like he just can't he he can't he's physically he cannot set a a quality screen and i think the he's tasked with setting a lot of screens and i i think that he should be the ball handler and pick and roll more than he should be the screen setter because the like the moment he gets confidence to operate off the dribble, like his game is going to flourish, because he's the skill is there. I mean, we we saw it in college. He he can handle the ball. He just needs he needs that confidence. He needs Ryan to give him the give him the rope to do it, and he hasn't yet, and that's fine. Like Ryan's taking it slow with Jaden, and I I get it, but I I just like I see where his game can go, and it's it's tantalizing. In the future, I can totally see this Jaden McDaniels cat duo being completely fluid. Have cat on the ball, have McDaniels on the ball. They set each other screens. Like that is the future of the NBA. Having tall guys who have those kind of skills who can take anybody off the dribble, who can who can screen anybody. Like it's just 
that is so ideal and it's what I want to see, which is why I think that I actually do want, and I know that he's skinny right now, but I actually do want Jaden McDaniels to set screens and just to get used to it, just to get used to the style of play mm-hmm. that he needs to have for next year and the year after. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I do just want to say Jaden McDaniels, I, you need to play less video games. You know, at first I thought he was a pothead, but now I'm just convinced he's a video game addict. I have no idea, oh. but he he looks just like <laughs> he looks totally tired and like I think it's crazy, right? Because in college he led the nation in technical fouls called against him for showing emotion, and thus far in the NBA he has been completely and utterly emotionless. Like <laughs> we have not seen a single emotion. Well, in college, Jaden McDaniels was always the best player on the court. I mean, he played up in Washington in a conference that wasn't super talented in comparison to like the ACC or something. But I now, mean, I mean, the Pac-12 is good. They're solid, but they're the Pac-12 North, I think. Or do they do they split up? I know that in football they do split up, but they don't have the strongest. Uh, they don't. Well, whatever. Everybody says that that Washington doesn't have the strongest uh, schedule. Like, that's what the knock was for all of these Washington players, like Markel Fultz and stuff, was that their their strength of schedule wasn't as high as some of these other players. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was on a team that wasn't getting into the tournament. He was by far the best player on his team. Of course he's going to get heated, because he's the only one out there who's, like, ready to go in the NBA. But now that he's in the NBA, he's never, never once the most skilled player on the court. So I get why he has decided to take a step back in terms of his intensity, but that'll come back as soon as he starts to catch up in terms of skill level with every other NBA player. You know, my theory is that he started an SSRI or something, something to lower his anxiety, kind of level out his mood a little bit. (laughs) Um, That, or maybe he's on Adderall now, maybe he's getting his ADHD under control. I don't know. He, but it's like, there, the demeanor is definitely different than in college, um, and and the aggressiveness is different. Um, Maybe if and you I don't know that Addy. <laughs> don't it snort Addy; it's not good. <laughs> don't do it; it'll ruin your life. Uh, all right, one last conversation to have because I I think it's really interesting. One of our favorite guys on Twitter who does not want to be on our podcast definitely doesn't Dane, listen. Dane Moore. Dane Moore. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> Trenton Hassel's Carmelo. Um, oh, I asked him to be on the pod. He said, "Yeah, let me hear more about. Let me hear more about your pod." I told him about it. I sent him the podcast and uh, crickets. So I don't think he likes it. I don't think he liked what he heard. I don't. I. I, I think he's got kids and he doesn't want his kids to be around such uh, fucking foul-mouthed ingrates. Granted, I, I work with kids. Kinda. That's me. But he said that at some point, Rosas is going to have to part with one of Jalen Noel, Jarrett Culver, Josh Akogi. So it got me thinking, like, which one of those players does have the most trade value versus value to the Timberwolves? And and we had this conversation a little bit between Jarrett Culver and, and Josh Akogi last week. But I, I think throwing Jalen Noel in there as like these these three, like two, three guard types like where do we value them who has the most trade value what are your thoughts still in terms of overall trade value 
Jarrett Culver clearly has the most trade value. He was the lottery pick, his skeleton, and he was a consensus lottery pick. Like some of the mock drafts had him at like two above John Morant. No joke. I don't remember who exactly, but maybe someone at the ringer or something. The other thing is that his skeleton is just better than all those other players. He has the body to be a Jimmy Butler. He has the body to do those things. And he has all of the raw skills, the raw potential to be that. Of course, I do not believe that he is going to reach that echelon or even close to that echelon. I doubt he'll ever be considered for an all-star game. But does that mean that he's not a 21-year-old? No, he's a 21-year-old kid. There is still opportunity for him to grow, and he does have an intense work work ethic. Now, in terms of what we've seen already, obviously it's Josh Okogie. I don't think other teams value Josh Okogie the same way that the Timberwolves value Josh Okogie or Timberwolves fans. Timberwolves media, everyone around the Timberwolves values Josh Okogie for his on-court performance and for his off-court performance more than any other team in the league. But Jalen Noel, that's an interesting uh, rock to throw in the cog here because that kind of gets me thinking, like, he was a second-round pick, but at the same time, he was that primary creator in Washington as well, kind of like Jaden McDaniels. So... I'm not sure whether Josh Okogi uh, or Jalen Noel is more valuable. I think that Jalen Noel has more valuable skill set because offensively he's already there. And defensively, he has some skills to be able to guard the one and the two, which is just fine for what he needs to do. And with Josh Okogi, it's like, I don't know what team he would fit on in a trade. I cannot imagine that in my head, especially a playoff team. If you think of a playoff team where you're like, Josh Okogie is definitely in that eight-man lineup, that's what you need to think of if you think this player has trade value. That's what Rocco is. He's in an eight-man lineup in a competitive playoff team. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, with Jalen Noel, I see more potential. And and Josh Okogie is what, 24, 22? He just turned 22 in September. So He's still young, I guess. I guess, yeah, I guess he is young. Because he played two years in college, so I just assumed he came in when he was 20. But I guess he got drafted when he was 19 and then turned 20. That So whatever. Uh, to your point about Jared Culver, he, looking at, I just looked through some mock drafts from 2019 quickly. And it seemed like Culver, Garland, White, Hunter, and Reddish were all like generally in the mix together between four and nine but but by the time we got to the draft, it was pretty clear that it was going to be Zion, Ja, and RJ up top. Um, but I think you're right. I like Jalen Noel, I love I, I he has he is like two or three quality games away from me being like truly convinced that he is a, an NBA rotational player. You know, I, I see like six man potential with him. Like I, I think that he can be a, a lead scorer off of a bench, off of a bench unit, if everything goes right, because I mean he's got he's got the shooting, he's got the ability. Go ahead. Danny Chow had Jarrett Culver as his second best player in the draft. That's what I was thinking about. Ah. yeah. Well, the ringer is dumb. Remember Kevin O'Connor had Killian Hayes number one. This I don't this care year? about Kevin O'Connor. Danny Chow's okay. 
But yeah, I, I just don't. I think Josh Kogi's energy and defense is far more valuable to the Wolves than anything that they would get in return. I just don't. I don't see a possible trade there. Cool. Thanks for having that conversation with me, Dylan. The Wolves play the Hornets on Friday. Lamelo versus Ant. Uh, we will decide on Friday who made the right pick, um, and who is better between Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards. And that will be the final decision. So make sure you listen on Monday to our podcast because we will tell you who's better, Lamelo Ball or Anthony Edwards. It's the season opener, baby. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to the CND NBA show. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CND NBA show. You can send us an email. Thank you, Tim Kamatsu at CND NBA. Uh, download, subscribe, like, do the podcast shit. Come on now. Come on now. Tony um, B, do the shit. Read me and Dylan on zone coverage. Rewrite cool shit. We just wrote an article on Monday. It's hilarious. It's like the funniest thing that's ever been written, probably, about the Timberwolves. Yeah, have you ever read Voltaire? This is funnier. This is funnier than Voltaire. <laughs> no, no, nothing funnier than Voltaire. <laughs> I was thinking of the funniest comedy writing, but but that was uh, my first. Uh, that was the first word that came out of my mouth, and I apologize to all of our all of our listeners, all twenty nine of you. <laughs> all right, thanks everyone. Bye. <laughs>